Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Do Scientists Do? It's a show where I talk to a different guest each episode and ask them all about their favorite science topics and what it's like to be a scientist, an engineer, someone who works in science, technology, engineering, and math. My name is Jessica, and today I'm joined by our very special guest. Could you give us your name and your pronouns, please? Yeah, hi, everyone. I'm Sierra Sparks, and I use she and her pronouns. Nice to meet you, Sierra. And what kind of scientist or engineer are you? I'm a biomedical and an electrical engineer. So what do electrical engineers do? Let's start there. Yeah, so an electrical engineer at its core is really concerned with how we can use electricity um, to solve problems. And so there's a lot of different fields within electrical engineering. Um, and in fact, what I studied in my undergraduate degree at Dalhousie was electrical engineering. And I was really exposed to some of the different areas that an electrical engineer may work in. So this might be working for a utility company. So in Nova Scotia, uh, that would be Nova Scotia Power, working on power lines and making sure that people have power in their homes um, and in buildings. Uh, you could also be working in other industries like aerospace, you could be working on the circuitry for planes or for rockets that are going into space. You can also be working in healthcare fields and biomedical fields, which is kind of what I ventured into as well. Uh, and you could also be working in things like telecommunications, you know, getting internet access um, and phone access to uh, your house buildings, things like that. So there's a lot of things that electrical engineers can work with. Lots of things that have to do with, with power. Cool. So pretty much anywhere there's electricity, there was probably an engineer involved at some point. Yeah. Whether that's like your house or a robot or the power grid or anywhere. Yeah, exactly. It's a very versatile field and electrical engineers are, are definitely everywhere. Cool. And you mentioned that now you're doing more specifically biomedical engineering. What do biomedical engineers do? Yeah, so biomedical engineers can come from a variety of different backgrounds. So like I mentioned, I come from a more electrical background and that in terms of biomedical engineering might be dealing with electrical signals that we have in the human body. So for example, you might be wanting to figure out how someone's brain is working and electrical and biomedical engineers can design equipment that can measure the signals in someone's brain as well as in someone's heart um, and in other areas of their body. Um, so what the area of biomedical engineering that I'm working in is in medical imaging. So we can use lots of different equipment to actually get a picture of what's going on in someone's body. So you might have heard of x-ray imaging. That's one type of medical imaging, but there's also ultrasound imaging, which is very popular uh, when someone is pregnant and you want to see what a baby looks like inside. You can also use magnetic resonance imaging, which is what I'm using. Um, so this involves using the magnetic fields that we have in our bodies. And there's lots of other types of medical imaging. But if you're coming from, for example, a chemical background, uh, you might be going into trying to engineer new human tissue. 
So working with materials that can work well with our body so that they're safe for implants and things like that. A mechanical background might be working on prosthetics. So trying to rehabilitate people who may have been injured, giving them access to prosthetics and designing them so that they are safe to use um, and comfortable to use. So there's a lot of, even within this specific field of biomedical engineering, also there's so many different areas in that as well. Yeah, so it's pretty much anybody who uses some sort of engineering skill to try to improve the tools that we can use to help and research the human body. Yeah, and biomedical engineers work very closely in a lot of healthcare fields. So they work usually in pretty multidisciplinary teams. So they might be working with medical doctors, they might be working with surgeons, they might be working with other scientists who have more specific knowledge. And so that's one of the really cool things about biomedical engineering and engineering in general is that you get to work with people who have a lot of different skills um, and backgrounds. Cool. I love that. I love anything that's super interdisciplinary, which for listeners means that you're using more than one type of science and engineering and all these different skills at once. So when you're using like engineering skills and biology, which is what you use to study living things like the human body. So I love biomedical engineering because of that. What are you specifically studying? Yeah, so right now I'm doing my PhD in biomedical engineering. Um, And what I'm specifically looking at is trying to find a way that we can diagnose Alzheimer's disease, which is a disease that happens mostly um, in people who are getting older um, and it starts to impact how they remember things. So people might be forgetting things a little bit more often and things like that. And we're trying to prevent this disease from happening in the first place. And so what I'm working on is a tool that can basically, we want to figure out how we could see what's happening in the brain without having an actual picture of what's going on in the brain. So like I mentioned before, you can use medical imaging like magnetic resonance imaging or MRI as we like to call it. You can use that to get a picture of what's going on in the brain. But the problem with that is that these machines are really, really big um, and they can be quite expensive to have these machines. And you need really special, specially trained people to be using these machines because they're so big, uh, because they have really big magnets. And we want to make sure that everyone who's using them uh, is properly trained so that everyone is safe. So this can be really difficult when you're going to rural areas where someone may not have access to the same equipment or when you're just trying to get a really quick diagnosis. These can take quite a bit of time and there's often a lot of waiting. And so what we're looking at is if we can essentially get an indication or figure out what's going on in the brain without these MRI machines. And what I'm looking at is the study of pupillometry, which essentially is looking at how your pupil, which is the black thing in the middle of your eye, how that responds to changes in conditions. So you can actually try this out at home. If you go and look in the mirror and you change how bright the light is, you can actually see your pupil start to get bigger or smaller depending on how much light there is. So that's what we're trying to measure is 
how reactive your pupil is to these changes in light. And we want to see if how reactive it is to these changes in light. So essentially shining a flashlight in someone's eye very briefly and measuring the change. We want to see if that has any indication on how healthy someone's brain is. And if we could use this information, um, it would be a lot less expensive. It's quite quick. You can do it even just with your cell phone. And it would be a really useful tool for doctors and other clinicians who are trying to figure out how healthy someone's brain is without sending them to an MRI machine to get their brain imaged. So that's what I'm working on. That's super cool. When you are trying to figure out those changes in the pupil, those must be really tiny changes, right? Because like you mentioned, you can go into your bedroom or a bathroom and shine a flashlight at your eye and see the change in your own pupil. But you probably have to detect really tiny differences in order to be able to use this to figure out how healthy someone's brain is. How are you figuring out those tiny differences? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are looking at some changes that can be quite small. What's really nice is that the changes become a lot bigger when you're already adjusted to a dark room, for example. So basically, the darker it is, the larger your pupil is because it's trying to essentially get as much light through as it can. So it widens the pupil in darker situations. And when it's super bright, it becomes a lot smaller. And so if we start in a really dark, we have a pitch black lab testing room that we can use. Uh, we start in this darkness and then we flash a really bright light in someone's eye. And we have specialized equipment that we've actually engineered ourselves, some of it. Um, so we've designed it uh, from scratch uh, and we're using it to basically measure these really small changes in the pupil. So it can basically track the pupil as it's getting smaller and as it's expanding. Um, and we use that in conjunction with a lot of other different tools. So we're not just looking at the pupil, we'll also be looking at how active someone is in their life and how, how much sleep they get and what their diet is like. And basically looking at a lot of different factors of their lifestyle as well and also looking at their genetic information. So things like what they were born with and how that might be impacting their pupil response, but also their risk in turn for Alzheimer's disease. We can use all of this information and we can put it into what's called a machine learning algorithm, which is basically something that we use programming to create. And we take in all this information and it's able to basically use all of this information and give us some information about what someone's risk might be looking at, looking like because of all of this, these different factors. And so there's a lot of different working parts, which is why it's really helpful that we have so many people who have different backgrounds on our team. So like I mentioned, I come from a more electrical background. So I'm working a lot with designing this equipment and uh, with making sure that I know how the programming works and things like that. We have some people who come more from physiology or medical backgrounds, so they know a lot more about, you know, how these changes will happen and, and what we can expect to see. And so it's all about making sure that the conditions that we're testing someone in, 
we're trying to basically amplify this, these small changes as, as much as possible and also look at other factors so that when we see changes in those areas as well, then we can really identify patterns with that. So you're really using just all these different tools at the same time to get little bits of information instead of having to use one really big, expensive, harder to access tool like an MRI machine. Exactly. Yeah. So we want to use a lot of things all at once, but that aren't really difficult to get access to. So, you know, asking someone about their lifestyle and, you know, flashing a light in, in someone's eye is thing that you can do pretty quickly uh, without specialized equipment. Um, and so we're just looking for uh, basically a, a better solution, um, something that can give us information maybe even before an official Alzheimer's disease diagnosis is made, so that then we can tell people what changes they can make in their lifestyle so that they can maybe prevent it from ever happening. Cool, I love that. Switching gears a little bit, you're doing all of this very specific research right now, but do you have a favorite science thing that you've ever done? Yeah, so um, I actually have two really two things that were my favorite, and they were both when I was doing my undergrad in electrical engineering at Dalhousie. So the first was we have every year in our third year of our undergrad program, we have a robot competition. So in this competition, we get into groups of maybe three or four students, and it's different every year. But for us, we had to build a robot that could basically navigate all by itself through a course it was an obstacle course and it was meant to look like what it would look like underwater. Um, and so there were play sharks in the course that we had to avoid. <laughs> we had to uh, make some checks underwater. I say underwater with quotes because we actually did it not underwater, which was uh, much easier to, to do. But we had all of these obstacles that we had to avoid. And so in building this robot, we had things like metal detectors that we were able to build from scratch. We made use of uh, sonar, which is basically using sound waves to detect how close or how far an object might be. So we had that to make sure that we were avoiding some of the objects. Um, and there was a lot of just different working parts to make sure that the robot wasn't moving too fast or too slowly. And it was a big project that we worked on for the whole semester, but once it was done, it was just such such a happy day to just you know compete uh, against the other teams um, and actually see what our robot could do without us. You know, we had no remote control, we had no no way to control it once it started the course. It had to do it by itself, um, and it was about a, a five to ten minute course that it did. So. We had to, the biggest thing that we were challenged with was making sure that we had enough power for the robot to actually make it through all of these tasks. But that was just, I thought it was such a really great example of, of what engineering can do. You know, we had no idea what we would even start with uh, when we were building this robot, but it combined a lot of programming, hardware skills, um, you know, like building the metal detector and things like that. And just the robotics components in general was really, really cool to, to work on. And then my second favorite um, thing that I did was every year in Canadian engineering schools, in your final year, you work on what's called a capstone project. 
which is another group project. Um, but this one you do in your last year of engineering. And it's a whole year project that you do in a group. And you get to work with either an industry that you are interested in, or maybe some professors that you really like their research, um, and you can work with them. So what we worked on, we were working with um, a couple of the biomedical engineering professors at Dalhousie, who also have their own company. Um, it's an ultrasound imaging company called Daxonics Ultrasound, which is uh, a startup in Halifax. We were working with them to basically make a device or improve a device that could give us images, ultrasound images of a person's spine. And so what we were trying to do was to make it so that we could get these pictures in a way that was a lot easier for us to see these really hard to see areas in the spine so that when surgeons are doing spinal surgeries, they can do it all at once rather than having to go in at different areas and at different angles to access these really hard to see areas in the spine. And so this was just really, really cool. We got to work with spinal surgeons. We got to work with biomedical engineers to actually build this. And by the end, we were able to actually get uh, an ultrasound image was produced by what we were, uh, what we were building. And um, I'm not sure if I explained this at the beginning, but ultrasound imaging is basically, again, using sound waves and seeing how fast they return. So sound travels at different speeds, depending on if you're in air, if you're in water, if you're going through a different material, it'll actually take longer or, or shorter amount of time, depending. Uh, that's why your voice sounds a lot different when you're yelling underwater than it does on land. And so we can use these properties to actually get a picture of something that's happening in the body. And so that's what we were doing with this ultrasound probe that we were building, um, an ultrasound transducer, it's called. And we were using this to improve spinal surgery outcomes and to make them easier for the spinal surgeons. And so again, that just really sums up what biomedical engineering is really good for is, you know, you're trying to improve on medical devices that medical professionals will be using. And you want to make it easier so that they can really do well in their jobs and they're giving the best care possible to their patients. Well, I love how both of those experiences for you are so different from each other, but they're both equally cool. Um, I can very much see how you ended up kind of doing both electrical and steering it towards biomedical, but really doing like all of this different stuff. I have one question about your robot. Did it have a name? Yeah, so we called the robot Robbie the robot. <laughs> um, and we, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we gave him a name. Um, we put it all in the report. Um, and he was, you know, after spending basically a whole summer with this robot, um, he basically felt like one of our kids. <laughs> so, yeah, no, the, the robot was really special. We, we loved Robbie very much. I love that. I can imagine if you're working on the same thing and you're solving all these problems and just having to spend so much time with it, I feel like I would also get emotionally attached to a robot that I was working on for that long. Yeah, definitely. No, it was uh, definitely a lot of work, but, uh, you know, we had a great time with it. Is Robbie still around? 
Um, unfortunately, we do not have Robbie anymore. We had to we had to take away some of the parts. We have we have some of some of his cores left, but uh, we had to the uh, computer that we were using to or microcomputer that we were using to run Robbie. Uh, we had to use for other projects so ah <laughs> uh, yeah i guess robbie's components were probably expensive and valuable and you want to recycle what you can um, exactly yeah use it for for new engineering projects that makes sense do you have something that you think that everyone should know about either biomedical engineering or engineering in general yeah i think engineering in general um, the one thing I would want everyone to know is just how versatile it is you know you come with one area of expertise and you have so many different options of people that you can work with fields that you can work in um, there's so many different options and it's just really you know you learn one thing in class and you can use that in so many different situations so you never get bored because you're always getting to try new things and and work with new people and learn from these new people which is a really big privilege and it's it just really makes the job really fun and there's always something to learn i love all of that was there a moment for you where you went yes i want to be an engineer yeah, so it was actually, I was in junior high school, uh, and I'd always really enjoyed math and science um, and problem solving, which are really big parts of engineering, but I really didn't know anything about engineering at that time, but I was really lucky I had an older cousin who was studying chemical engineering at Dalhousie at the time, and she was telling me all about it, all of these experiments, these really fun experiments she got to do. Um, in her labs, she was telling me about some of the projects she was working on and some of the work experience she got to do on in some of her co-op terms, which are basically like doing internships with lots of different companies. Um, and that really, for me, uh, brought engineering as you know a really cool option for me to do. And once I started looking into it, I, I really thought it was something for me. And, you know, I haven't haven't looked back since. I, I absolutely love engineering, even though I'm not, I'm studying right now in England. And one of the traditions in Canada, when you graduate from your engineering degree, is you get what's called an iron ring, which is a ring that you wear on your pinky finger to remind you of um, what it means to be an engineer and the responsibility that you have to making things better in society. And I wear this ring even while I'm in England, even though it's not something that they, they have here, just because you know it, it just means so much to me to be an engineer and uh, to be able to solve these problems and, and work to try and make society better in you know, these different areas. And so there's really something for everyone in engineering. I, I truly believe that, uh, whether you're more of a, a math and science person or more of a creative person, uh, you know, it's really important to be creative in engineering as well. And so even if, you know, math and science might not be your favorite subject, you know, artists do really, really well as well in engineering. And so I think that's one of my favorite parts about engineering is just that you meet people from who have very different skill sets and you all get to, to work together to, to solve these, these problems. 
That's super cool. It sounds like you're using all of your different talents to put them towards something that's really worthwhile, but also really like personally interesting to you. And you're getting to be creative and use the math and the science and everything all at once. I mentioned this actually on an episode that I recorded yesterday, actually, with an engineer from the Canadian Space Agency, where we were talking about how it's easy to forget that engineers are not just taking a physics class. Engineers are inventors. And the physics class is one of the things that you need to use, one of the tools. But um, at the end of the day, engineers get to invent things and improve things for all these different goals. And I think that's very cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you get to be really creative in engineering. And I mean, every year when you're studying engineering, you take design courses where the whole point of the course is just to design something new, design something that that doesn't exist or improve something. So make something better. And I think that that's really the best part of engineering is getting to use, you know, you have the theory from your math and and your physics, chemistry, uh, biology, you know, the sciences, but you really get to apply that to to real life situations. Um, And, and, you know, you get to have a lot of flexibility with, with making these inventions and making these designs and making sure that we're making these designs that are, you know, useful for everyone and that, you know, everyone can use. So it's really it's really a cool field to be in. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Sierra. And as always, a big, big thank you to everybody listening. If you'd like to keep up with what Sierra's up to, you can follow her on Twitter at Sierra N. Sparks, where she talks all about her research and her experiences working in the biomedical engineering world. For more science fun, you can also follow the podcast on social media at ScientistsDoPod for news about our upcoming guests, clips of past episodes, science experiments, and more. Do you have a question that you'd like answered by an expert? Send us an email at whatdoscientistsdo at superstaff.ca or send us a message on social media and we might feature a question on the show. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next episode. Bye for now! This podcast was made by Supernova at Dalhousie University, a network member of Actua. For more information on our summer camps, workshops, and more, check out supernova.dal.ca.